Well, good morning, Crossroads. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor to students, and it's great to be with you this morning as we are in week two of our Mighty Hero series, and we've been following the life of Gideon. Gideon, whose story is found in Judges and starts in Judges chapter 6. And last week, we realized, as Pastor Tim preached about this uh, in the first week of Mighty Hero, that Gideon uh, was in a terrible situation along with the rest of Israel because Israel's enemies had been sneaking up on them and had been defying them. And Israel as a people was in a place uh, where they were being oppressed and they were being attacked and they were under constant pressure uh, from the enemy that surrounded them. And as a people, they were scared and they were, they were hiding and they were wishing that God had done something. And, and right, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> right in the midst of that, uh, Gideon appears in the story. And when we find him, Gideon is in the bottom of a wine press and we meet him. He's an insignificant person from an insignificant family and an insignificant tribe. And he's the last person you would expect for God to rise up to lead. But in that moment, God shows up in the bottom of a pit where Gideon is hiding and he labels him a mighty hero. And God puts this label on him before Gideon had done anything in his life to deserve that label. In fact, if anything, Gideon's life was actually proof that he wasn't the label in which God had given him, but yet still God had labeled Gideon a mighty hero. And he said to Gideon, he said, I want to raise you up to be a leader, to make a difference about the current situation my people are facing. He said, I hear the oppressed cries of my people, and I want to help bring them freedom and you know, God chooses not to, to do so. The, the way that he works in the world is not to make wishes come true or to make the stars align or to have some sort of magic potion or magic wand that he would give to Gideon or he would just bestow upon the people. Instead, God in this moment chooses to look upon somebody like Gideon. He in, invites him and he raises him up to be a leader. And this was God's plan in that moment to save his people from the suffering that they were facing. And in the same way, I believe what we find out about the story of Gideon, and truthfully the story of Judges, is that God is in the business of raising up leaders from people who he wants to help guide his people into experiencing freedom. This is the way God works in the world, not by magic potions. And of course, God has the power to intervene, and he does. But the way God wants to operate is by raising up leaders. And we believe that God wants to raise you up to be a leader, to make a difference in your world and in your families. In fact, we believe God has labeled you a mighty hero. And last week, the message was an amazing message about how, how God, how we want you to see, and God wants you to see yourself first and foremost, the label that he has given you. And that requires us to lay down all the labels that society and the world and social media and all our friends, whatever, has given us. We lay down those labels and we replace it with the label that God has given us. And we recognize last week that label is Mighty Hero. And we hope today you carry that forward and you recognize you are wearing a label that God has labeled you a mighty hero. And we're convinced that God wants to raise up heroes and raise up leaders, and we think that person is you. And Gideon was the least qualified, the last person you would expect. And I think many times we think that we're not qualified, and we even disqualify ourselves from being used by God. 
And we say, I'm too young, I, I don't know enough, I don't have enough knowledge, I, I don't have enough experience, I can't possibly do that. And yet still God has labeled you a mighty hero. He's calling you into leadership. And, and we believe that's what God wants for your life. You know, I didn't grasp the idea of being a leader myself really until I was a senior in high school. Uh, and I was told, I was voted the captain of my varsity basketball team. And I remember feeling that, that sense of pride when I knew I had the honor uh, that I was the captain, I was the leader. Uh, it meant that I got to lead the, the pre-game hype huddles and all these things. I got to talk to the refs before the game and shake the opposing coach's hands and I got to wear a C on my chest. And it was amazing honor that I got to hold on myself and, and it was something that distinguished me apart from other people on the team. And I felt so good wearing the label as captain of the basketball team. And I love just how important that label was. And I think it's important for you to recognize who, what your label is. That God has labeled you child, mighty hero, loved one. And, and, and I, as I carried on that leader, I remember there was a particular moment in the season. We had been on a losing streak. And, and uh, at one game, we were playing against a team that, that we should absolutely lose to. Uh, and we were up by quite a bit in the second half, and then we had a collapse. They started hitting all their shots. We made dumb decisions, turnovers, and defensive mistakes, and all of a sudden, we end up almost getting blown out, and it was just one of those losses that was just disheartening, and we all were frustrated, and we walk into the locker room, all our heads are, are held low, and, and we're punching lockers. Most of us have bloody fists because we're frustrated, and we get in a circle, and we're all just down and frustrated, and our coach gets up to make the same losing speech he's made for the last five games about how we have to work harder and, and do better in practice, and we have to get better habits, and can't give up on games. And in that moment, there is a kid that, that just stands up and chucks his shoes across the room. And this was Al. And Al was the kid who maybe played three minutes because he was not very good at basketball, right? And so he's sitting at the end of the bench and Al, he's had enough at this moment. He chucks his shoes and he lets into a tirade where the expletives are just flying and it says things that if I said here, I'd probably get fired, right? And he has all of these words to say and he, he talks about how the coaches are bad and he says, I'm the best player on this team. I'm the best at defense and the best at offense. And if I played, we'd be winning all of our games. And that's the reason why we're not winning is because I should play more. And everybody in the circle is looking around like, what is happening? It was just such an awkward moment and we all kind of are hanging our heads and the, the coaches are speechless and we're all speechless and we're just kind of sitting back and we, we're thinking that Al might punch the coach and it's just awkward. And so as the moment ends and the, the kind of environment kind of just moves on, we're all kind of in this awkward space and so we slowly make our way to our lockers and, and we, we find our way on the way to the bus. And I'll never forget this moment. I'm, I'm about to walk into the bus and my assistant coach pulled me to the side and I I loved and respected this, this coach, and he pulled me to the side, and he said, you know, Dustin, you're a captain. You're a leader, right? And I'm very disappointed in you. And I wanted to be like, you know that was Al talking, not me, right? Like, I didn't say anything. I have done nothing. And he said, no, listen, you're our captain, and you had a chance. You had a moment to make a difference. You had a moment to speak up and come to the defense of your coaches and come to the defense of your teammates and even to defend yourself. And you had a moment to be a leader and to actually be the captain that we've called you, and you missed it. You missed your moment. And at first I was defensive, but as I thought about it, I realized that, that I did. I missed the moment because I had seen the, the C on my chest as just a label, just a name, and it didn't really mean anything to me beyond that. And I had a chance to speak up and stand up for something, and instead I sat there. And it wasn't because I, I, it wasn't because I didn't want to say anything. Truthfully, I, 
I wasn't sure if it was my place and I had all these fearful thoughts going through my head of what people might think of me if I said something and I wasn't sure what to say and all these things come to my, come to my mind as I was sitting there and instead of speaking up, I sat there and, and did nothing. And, and I remember in this moment, I, I realized that leadership isn't just the label you wear that's supposed to make you feel good about yourself and, and help you sleep at night and give you self-esteem. Leadership is a label that comes with a responsibility and it, it requires us to act and it requires us to do something. And in that moment, I didn't let my label lead to any action and so it was meaningless. And so we recognize this, in this moment, God has labeled you a hero and once you recognize that's where your value comes from is what God labels you, that's how important you are, it's because of who God labels you, but if it stops at just being a label, if it's just there to help you feel better about yourself before you go to bed, then we're missing the point. Because God invites us to leadership, not to sit back and watch things go crazy, but to step up and make a difference, to stand out and to be a leader and to take action. And I think a lot of us realize this, but something is holding us back, that, like was holding me back in the locker room that day, my senior year. And I think this is what we recognize. God has labeled you mighty hero. God has labeled you with these incredible labels. God has called you to do important things, but fear often gets in the way of us doing anything about it. Fear gets in the way of us standing up and stepping out and, and speaking up. Fear gets in the way of us becoming the leaders God is inviting us to be. And you know, the same thing was true for Gideon. And, and as Gideon was experiencing the goodness of God and the label that he didn't deserve, he also was experiencing fear. And God was inviting Gideon to become a courageous leader that didn't let fear hold him back. And he was able to courageously go forward. And today, as we continue the story, it's a story about Gideon living up to this idea of a courageous leader. And as we dive into the story today, we believe God calls you not just to be leaders, but to be courageous leaders. Not just to wear the label leader, not just to wear the label mighty hero, but to do something about it. Because God still works the same way. The way he wants to bring redemption to the world is through people like you who are willing to be obedient to him. And so as we dive into this story, I invite us to, to think about what it would mean for you to become a courageous leader. Because right after last week's story, and if you missed last week, you can rewatch it uh, on our website, crossroads.online. I invite you to do so if you haven't already, because the story ended as, as God looked at Gideon and called him a mighty hero. And just after that, uh, Gideon is having an encounter uh, with a living God and the angel of God, and, and he's cooking this meal. And all of a sudden, Gideon realizes he's face to face with the angel of the Lord, and he has this moment where fear just strikes him down, and he lays on his face, and he's like, oh no, I'm going to die. And God steps up and he speaks an amazing truth into Gideon's life. And I want it to ring true even today. He says, do not be afraid. You will not die. He said, Gideon, I am raising you up to be a courageous leader. And we're going to follow on as the story continues. And we find out how we could be courageous leaders as well. Let's start here in verse 25. It says this. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bowl from your father's herd. The one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering to, on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. 
See, God looks at Gideon, and he looks at Gideon's camp, and he realizes something is twisted. Something isn't the way it's supposed to be. Because you see, when God made a covenant with his people, he said, I will always be your God. I will always be faithful to you. I will never leave you. Even when you're afraid, I will always stand up for you. And he established a covenant with his people. And see, he had set apart his people Israel to be different. They're supposed to be different than everyone else. And he said, as part of this covenant, we want you to to have this list of ways you're going to stay faithful to this covenant. And, And he established this covenant set of rules. Often we call the Ten Commandments. And these rules were a relationship guide to help them stay in relationship with God. And God knew if they broke those rules, it wasn't about just rule falling, that if they broke those rules, our, our hearts are wired, it would twist our hearts. And one of the very first rules God said is, you shall have no other gods before me. That was part of the covenant. And if you know the story of the Old Testament, it's about how Israel and how humanity, how we often twist God's rules and we twist God's heart and we let things into our life we shouldn't. And here in Gideon's camp, they were breaking rule number one. They let gods into their camp that weren't God and they were worshiping other gods that weren't their one true God. And see, Baal worship and Asherah poles were like the things all their neighbors were doing, and it seemed to be working for them, and so it was just the cool thing to do. And so they adopted their neighbor's religion, and and so they twisted who God was, and they eventually forgot who God's instructions were for their life. And and now God looks into this moment, and he sees, if I'm ever going to have them make a difference in the world, I have to start with the core issue, with the root of the problem. We have to get rid of the idols. We have to destroy the idols. He says to Gideon, I want to bring redemption to your people, but first we have to clean up your camp. First, you have to deal with the idols. That's what we recognize. Courageous leaders clean up their camp. God knew they could never step into the future he had for them, and even if they could, it wouldn't be the same if they didn't deal with the root cause of the problem, which was the sin and the idolatry they let into their life. And you know, Jesus talks a lot about this kind of thing, and this is the reason why he was so upset at the religious leaders, because they were supposed to be the leaders who helped people get closer to God, but they wore it as a badge, and it meant nothing, because they had let their religion become an idol, and they actually put elevated the religion above who God was, and it twisted the heart of the gospel, it twisted the heart of God, and it actually led people away from him. And religion was their idol, and so Jesus understood they had a problem in their heart. And he didn't want to deal with the surface things. He didn't want to deal with the the consequences. He wanted to deal with the root cause. He wanted to deal with the heart, and it was idolatry. They had been elevating things above God and worshiping things above God, and they had replaced God in their life. And to be honest, we live in a world that has so many things. The temptation to replace God is everywhere. Even if we replace God with good things like family and, and, and church and, and jobs and all these things, if we elevate things above God and we replace God's place in our life with things that are not eternal, it, it causes a problem in our heart. I think many of us, without even realizing it, have begun to elevate our relationships and, and families and, and things that are meant to be good and it twists the heart of God and it twists our heart. 
Even worse than that, I think sometimes we intentionally do things that, that, that we let things into our life that are unhealthy and that are toxic and it, and it twists our heart. Scripture calls this sin. And I think many of us let, let sin into our life and we live in sin. And I think this moment in the Gideon story is God's reminder to us. He said, you will never do the incredible things I have and it won't make a difference if you don't first look at your heart and deal with the heart and deal with the sin you've let into your camp. I think God wants to do incredible things. And if you want to change the world, it starts by looking at your heart. You know, to be honest, as I look around the world, I think we have enough courageous leaders that haven't cleaned up their camp. And they're willing to step out and leave, but their homes and their hearts are a mess and it's twisted. And they stand up for things that aren't right and they aren't good. And God looks at us and he says, if you want to make a difference, I want to first help you clean up your camp. And guys, I I think even now, we have to remember the only true answer to the, to the twisted root of sin is what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for us on the cross. He rose again from the cross. And so we can have a victory over the sin in our life. And I think, guys, even as in this room, I know if you're like me, it's easy to, to, to let sin into our life and it can twist our heart. And before we move on, I just, I don't want to miss this opportunity because it takes courage. It takes a courageous leader to look at your heart and to be honest to the sin you've let in your heart and your life. And if you've let sin in, even if you don't realize it, it might be fun for a while, but it twists our heart and it twists our perspective of God and it changes our perspective of other people and it ruins our relationship and it infiltrates every part of our life. And many of us are holding on to sin and courageous leaders clean up their camp. Here's my question for you today is, are there idols you need to destroy in your life? Because not only does this give us the problem, it also gives us the solution as God tells Gideon what to do. He doesn't say, hey, just simply acknowledge the idols and hope it goes away or just simply talk to the idols or or tell somebody. He said, destroy the idols and then replace the idol with something better. Replace it with me. And so my question for you today is, are there idols you need to destroy in your life? And I want to speak specifically just for a second. Like some of us have let things into our life, whether it's, or it's pornography or secret addictions or unhealthy habits. We've let things in it. It's twisting our heart. But there's a better way. We have to destroy the idols we let into our heart. If we're going to be a courageous leader, if you want to change the world, a good place to start is changing your heart. And the one who can change your heart is Jesus, and he's done it for you. And it takes courage to be honest with yourself. And I love the scripture in 1 John 1, 9. It says this, if you confess to him, he is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And later today, we're going to have a chance to deal with our camp. Verse 27 says this, So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Now here Gideon was given instructions by God and he obeys, but he doesn't fit the archetype of a mighty hero. When I'm expecting or thinking about a mighty hero, I would hope that Gideon in broad daylight steps into the middle of a town with two giant sledgehammers. And all of a sudden he rips his shirt off to expose a six pack and giant pecs and it's all like greasy. I'm sorry to give you that picture, but he's also got a Rambo headband and two bullet slashes, you know, across this and some scars. He's a mighty hero. 
And he goes in the middle of the town and destroys it and he invites anyone to challenge him and he fights a bunch of people and he always wins. That's my image of a mighty hero. And Gideon does not match that image. And often when I read this scripture, I think about Gideon as, as being a little pathetic and weak and, and afraid. And, and come on, man, you've had an encounter with God. Why don't you act like it? But I love what's happening in Gideon's life. And I think this is how scripture is so real. And I hope you see what's happening because Gideon was in fact filled with fear. But he got out of bed anyway. He took a step of faith anyway. Courageous leaders take action. Even if they're filled with fear, even if fear is gripping them, even if they don't know what's going to happen, even if, if all the conceivable things that could go wrong might go wrong, they still get out of bed and take action. Courageous leaders take action, and we don't become leaders until we start to act upon it. You know, a couple of, uh, about last year, actually, I, I was at the bottom of my stairs, and I was looking to the, the top, and I realized I needed to go upstairs to get a drink, and so I ran, because I was real thirsty, I ran up all of the stairs, my giant staircase, it was about seven stairs, and when I got to the top, I had to take a break for 30 seconds, right, because I was tired, and I had an epiphany that I was out of shape, that I needed to run more because I was, that's embarrassing, I'm not that old, right, and so I decided I'm going to build a new habit, I'm going to start to run. Now, the thing is, I used to run, but I don't like to run, that's why I stopped running, and so it takes a lot of courage for me to start running again, and, and because I was so embarrassed at myself and my shape, and I wanted to, to take action, I started running in a couple of days, and it was incredibly hard because running sucks, right? It's not fun. And so I kept running, and I kept thinking as I was running, why am I doing this to myself? I'd rather just eat a burger. But you know, I, I learned something about myself, and it's this, as hard as it was to get motivated, and in many days I would miss the, 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 the motivation to run, but I learned something. I knew if I put my shoes on, if I was willing to put my running shoes on, I was going to step out the door and I was going to go on a run. And the hardest step was the first step, but I knew if I took put the time to put my shoes on, I would go for a run. And so I think action, it doesn't start with this big, huge thing. I think it starts with putting our shoes on. It starts with a single step. And action, if you want to be a leader, it starts by a little decision. And I think a little decision now could be the moment that a big decision arrives at later. And this is what I want us to realize. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to act in the face of it. In the same way, cowardice is not the presence of fear, but it's the inability to act as we face it. And so if you feel afraid, it does not mean you are not qualified to lead. It does not mean you are not qualified to take action. And this is what I think to be true, and you could prove me wrong, I'd be okay with that, but I think everyone's afraid. We're all afraid. And what separates courageous people from cowardice people is the ability to take action in the face of fear. And as you face fear, if you want to take action, it starts with a single step. It starts with putting your shoes on. And so my question today is this, what step can you take today to face your fear? What step today can you take today to make a change in your life? What step can you take? It might be as simple as putting your shoes on. Verse 28 says this, early the next morning, 
as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. And the mob is out. The witch hunt is on. And they're looking for Gideon, who had done something unforgivable. And see, Gideon's fears are being realized in this moment. Obviously, he is facing physical harm, but I don't think that's what he's most afraid of. In fact, what it said in the verse before was he was afraid and he went at night because he was scared of what people might think about him. He was scared about the opinions of others. He was afraid of rejection. He was afraid to risk his reputation. I think we recognize this. Courageous leaders are willing to risk their reputation because Gideon was facing a fear that I think is one of the strongest fears in all of us. It's the fear of rejection. It's the fear of other people's opinions. It's the fear of what people might say about you. And it's the fear that has stopped me from saying something in a Waterford Kettering locker room. It's the fear that holds us back, the opinions of others. Courageous leaders are willing to risk their reputation. Now, I remember a moment uh, I was on a spring break trip. I went to San Diego, California. I was on a popular beach, and there was a really big boardwalk. And I was uh, on the beach, and I was looking for something to do because I didn't have a swimsuit on. And I saw this glorious sign above a shop, and it just was like a beacon for me. It was a place of hope. And so I found myself standing in the line because the sign said, Hot Dogs. And I was excited for America. I had to get a hot dog. And so I was waiting in line and behind me, there's a bunch of people walking by this boardwalk. It was pre-COVID, so everyone was crushed together. And I heard a stirring. And I looked and I saw the crowds part and everyone is laughing and pointing fingers. And out uh, steps this figure who is one of the most ridiculous figures I've ever come across in my life. And I hope to paint a picture that will, that will sear him in your brain as he's seared in mine. Because he had these big old headphones that were attached to a giant box he had clipped to his hip. It was a Walkman, and he was listening to a cassette tape, which was old at the time, and it's still old now, and couldn't believe he was using it. And in this Walkman, and then a, what was attached to the Walkman was, I'm sorry for this, but just a leopard print Speedo. That's all he was wearing, except for these giant socks he had pulled up all the way. And he had a nappy hair and a grosser beard than mine, which was saying something at the time. And uh, he was just, he was in the zone. And uh, on his feet were these rollerblades. And he was doing this like dance routine. And he was in his world. He was singing out loud some 80s pop song. And he was just getting it. He was getting down on the boardwalk in San Diego outside a hot dog shop. And I was in the line and we were all laughing at him. Now, I'm not suggesting that you get a go buy a leopard print Speedo, okay? But here's what I remember about that moment as we all laughed and as this guy was crazy and weird and he deserved all the weird looks that we gave him. He, he earned all the whispers that we got. But I admire that man because I look, as I look back, he was not afraid of what other people thought about him. 
Right? And to, to be honest, if you're asking which one of us are free, it wasn't me as we were <laughs> inhibited by normal social attitudes. It was this guy. He was living in freedom. He didn't really care what people thought about him. He didn't let the voices of other people decide what he wanted to do for that day. And he wanted to roller skate on the boardwalk and sing. And he didn't let the voices of other people stop him from making his choices. And here's what I think we, we can learn from that crazy person in San Diego. As I think often we give way too much power to the voices we hear in our life. The voices of our friends or, or people on social media or people we don't even care about. We give way too much power to the point where we elevate their voice above God's voice. And those voices begin to influence our choices and we wonder what they think and that's what, what we choose and that's what we put on social media and that's what we say and it determines how we act and even how we raise our kids and, and what we do and we elevate people's voices and we give them power over our life and over our choices. And a courageous leader is willing to risk the reputation to, to raise God's voice to his proper place and, and to know and have wisdom how to push certain voices away from influencing your choices. So my question for you today is this. What voices have power over your choices? Have you been elevating certain voices to a place that gives them way too much power over your life and over your choices? Because the fear of losing reputation is a powerful thing. And it can make us not listen to God, and it can wash out his voice from our life. Let's go to the next verse. In verse 31, it says this. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. And in this moment, I, I, I don't know much about Joash, but we do know that the altar was in his front yard. And we can't be for sure why. Maybe at one point in his life, he truly wanted to worship Baal and it seemed like the good thing to do, but I'm gonna assume it was something else. I'm gonna assume that there was lots of pressure from outside voices to put an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole up in his front yard. And even though he knew it was wrong, he was too afraid to resist the angry mob. And so he put it up anyway. And he, he was so ashamed of himself because he was a coward in the face of pressure. And then here comes his youngest, most insignificant son. And does something incredibly courageous, something that he didn't have the courage to do himself. And it's looking at Gideon where Joash finds his courage. And he looks at the angry mob and he defends his son. And he says, let Baal defend himself. And in this moment, Gideon's courage made Joash find his courage. And we recognize this, courageous leaders are contagious. And if you find your leadership and you find your voice and you find out your place in God's calling in your life, it won't be just about you. And we're convinced that God has big things for Crossroads. In fact, amazing things ahead for Crossroads. And we want to step into God's, God's vision and mission. And we want to be bold witnesses for, for the cross and for Jesus and for the gospel. But it doesn't happen just because a few people on a stage say it. It happens because people like you are willing to step up as well. And we are in need of people to be courageous leaders. And we believe God is inviting you out of complacency into a life of courage. 
Because if you step out, there are people in your life that will see it and that need to see it and it will be the very thing they need to change their life and to make the right decision in their life and to find Jesus in their life because courageous leaders are contagious. And here's my question for you today is who in your life needs to see your your courage? Because if you are a courageous leader, it won't happen just behind closed doors and somebody in your life needs to see your courage. And maybe if you're a parent, it's your kids. They need to see you commit to the life of faith and commit to the, to the way of Jesus. Maybe it's your family. Maybe if you're a kid, your parents need to see your courageous step towards Jesus. And maybe it's your coworkers who need to see somebody living their faith out because they're afraid to do it. And if they say you do it, then they'll be willing to step out in faith as well. Somebody in your life needs to see your courage. And, and the temptation for you right now would be to see not me, but all of us have somebody looking to us and And they are desperate for someone to step out and encourage. And our world is in desperate need to know the real message, the real gospel of Jesus, the redemption. They need to know their love. They need to know there's forgiveness for them. And God's plan for redemption in the world is not to wave a magic wand and hope all the the problems go away. It's not in political systems or national identities. It's in people like you as an individual followers of Jesus who are willing to step up and be courageous. It starts with you. So here's my question, my final question for you is this, will you be the courageous leader God's calling you to be? And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe for you, that courageous step is to be honest, to take the hard first step, to honestly look at yourself, to recognize the sin and the idols in your life and to destroy them and to give it and replace it with the gospel, replace it with Jesus, maybe that's your step today. Maybe for you, you just need to put your shoes on, you need to take a step of faith to do something about your faith, to do something about it. Maybe for you, you need to to quiet the voices in your life so that you can listen to the voice of Jesus and have a quiet time to hear what he wants so you can be obedient. Maybe for you, it's just recognizing that there are people looking to you and if you find their courage, it will be contagious. So in this moment, we wanna have an experience with God and I believe God is here in this place, whether you're at our Mishawaka campus or here in Goshen or at drive-in church or watching online, God is here and God wants to connect with you. And and so right now we we have these labels up front and at our campuses and online, you could use the comment section, but we believe God wants to replace your label with something better. And we believe that if we trade in our fears, God will give us something. He will give us his spirit and it will lead us on to a courageous leadership lifestyle. And so as we sing and as we worship together, we just invite you to step out, to take a step of faith, to put your shoes on, Take a step and come up here and lay your fears down. I think our fear is if we confess something that on the other side of confession is condemnation, but on the other side of confession is redemption and forgiveness. And Jesus is here and he wants that for you. So maybe for you, there's a hidden sin that you don't want to talk about and you don't know what to deal with. Maybe it's pornography or maybe it's something that you're afraid to even admit or unhealthy relationships or unhealthy habits and maybe an addiction you're afraid to admit. Maybe your first step today is simply to write it on a piece of paper and not be afraid of what the person next to you thinks. Because here's the reality. We don't take options like this often. Fear will keep you in your seat. And mostly it's because you're afraid of what people in this room will think. I just want to be the the one that says, who cares? This isn't about them. This is a chance for you to deal with the core, with your heart, because Jesus cares about your heart. 
Let's pray. Jesus, here in this moment, we have these labels and we have a chance to worship you. And God, we believe you are here. You are present. You are knocking at our door. And God, you invite us into life change, not to complacency. You invite us to be bigger and you don't give us labels just so we can feel good about ourselves. You give us labels to do the hard thing and to make sacrifices and to follow you. And sometimes following you means standing up and stepping out. And God, give us courage. Give us your spirit. Let us hear your voice this morning because you are the way. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.